We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. We are back on the live stream. I'm your host, Max Torres, coming at you with a live stream show for today, Wednesday, June 1st, 2022. We're doing a Oregon football and recruiting discussion today. Uh, and I'm joined by my guy, Ryan Winter, a.k.a. Sports Chat 503. What's going on, man? What's up? Let's do this thing. Let's do it. You Let's too. do it. It's been a minute since uh, you know we've done one of these, Ryan. We haven't done this since the, the spring game when we broke things down off of that. And then I know you started to do some live streams of your own on your channel. So you're kind of yes. rocking and rolling with it. Shouts out to you, man. You're the one. Couldn't yeah, do no, without you, Max. No, I'm, I'm glad you're doing it. It's fun to, to tune into those and, and see all the great discussion you have on your channel. So before we get into everything, obviously, guys, make sure you go check out Ryan's channel, Sports Chat 503. And then uh, if you're here on the live chat, live chat, we definitely want to get you guys involved in the podcast. You know, this show is for you guys, the fans. So if you guys have a question or a comment, something's on your mind, we're going to try to get to as many as we can, but throw that in the live chat box. And, um, you know, and just another thing to put out there is uh, if you guys wanted to support the channel by using the super chat function, that would be greatly appreciated. But we're just happy to be back here on the live stream. Hopefully my computer cooperates with me, but if not, I'll hop out and restart and then Ryan will hold things down. So, uh, yeah, with all that being said, if you guys are here live, smash the like and subscribe button. If you're here on replay, thanks for tuning in. And uh, let, let us know what you're thinking about, whether it be Oregon heading into next year in the 2022 season or Dan Landing and the Ducks picking up steam on the recruiting trail. we got a huge month of recruiting on tap in June. But with all that being said, we got a couple of topics that we're going to hit on before we get into uh, some questions. But we you know, kind of let those roll in here. We got some new uh, kickoff times that were announced for Oregon's 2022 non-conference slate. So uh, we're going to maybe talk a little bit about those games and and see what sticks out to us there. But uh, so if you're not going to the Georgia game, it's going to be a 1230 kickoff on ABC uh, here out west uh, Pacific time. What what do we think about a 1230 kickoff for Oregon's first game of the season, first game of the Dan Lanning era? Oh, I think it's, I mean, for, for a TV, that first game, you know, you're, you want to be a part of the rest of the schedule. It's it's really, the time is for the actual kickoff in Georgia. That's a so 3.30 start. That's the way I look at that game, because I'll be at that one. And I just think it's one of those deals where out here, you know, sometimes you got to get it started early, you know? 
I think Duck fans are all right with tailgating a little early, you know, but this is going to be the TV game where, you know, you'll be around whatever, having breakfast burritos or doing whatever you're going to be doing, but people will be fired up for this game. I swear, I think the closer you get to it, the more chatter you'll have around the Ducks, maybe have an opportunity down there, and either way, it'll be a hell of a game uh, to start the year, you know. I don't, yeah, Duck fans are definitely uh, always ready to get up early and, and, you know, get to tailgating. The atmosphere of that, that spring game was awesome. Um, just to get another little taste of it before we enter the summer months where it's, it's just baseball, which I've gotten back into baseball. That was my first love as a kid growing up when it comes to sports. But yeah, I think a, a 1230 kickoff definitely, uh, you know, isn't, uh, isn't anything too bad. At least it's not like a 9am kickoff. Cause then that would be, that'd be a little tough to have to get up early for those ones. Very true. I mean, historically, you know, before the Ducks were on TV every week, you know, and the TV schedule ran the time, their games were always at 1230, you know, pretty much there every week, you know, you could set your watch to it. So I think it's going to be fun. You know, the, the key thing for me is, is, is that if you get it started on the right note, Duck fans are going to be just elated. Uh, if you start off this thing like the Chip Kelly era started off with the terrible first game at Boise, Things could get really weird, right? And so you want this thing to start on a good note. You want to go down to Georgia, show up. Looks like you're going to have a team that's going to be able to do it, and uh, at least at least be in the thing, and not not get yourself you know in a position where you're embarrassed by the loss. I think it's going to be fantastic. I love the start times though, across the board. You know the bees have the late one. I think that's going to be good because. The, the, the Ducks found themselves in this same boat. You know, if you're the best team, you get the best time slot. But if you're like the second or third best team, you get the like after dark time slot. You get the time slot that they want to try to get the better teams in, but not the best teams in because the best teams aren't going to that time slot. They're going to the premier one. So the Bees are going to get jammed this year. I, I think the Bees might be the second best team in the North this year. I think they're going to really surprise teams. So, I looked at that whole non-conference schedule and, and was really kind of excited about it. I think the BYU game is the big one. That's going to be a 12:30 start. Absolute sunshine, beautiful, middle of September in the Valley. It's going to be just epic, and that's going to be a big one. That's me on Fox. So I, I, I like uh, you know what they do with it. The 5:30 start for the Eastern Washington game is nice for us. Coming from Portland gives us a little bit of time to get down there. But I like the move. Get up in the morning. Get ready, have some breakfast, hit the road, get down there, start to tailgate a little bit or not, jump in the game. You get out, and then you have the rest of that day. That's what I like about the early game, just like I like to play golf early. Have the rest of the day ahead of you. Yeah, no, that's really nice to to have the rest of the day to watch the rest of the football slate. I mean, even me as a reporter, like I kind of like the early games in that regard because, you know, I get to Odson, do my thing and cover the game and then you know there's obviously a couple more hours after that of, of you know writing stories talking to the coaches talking to the players and then hop on here to do you know a live reaction and, and all that so after all of that's done to still be able to watch some games is, is really nice and for BYU that game it's it's nice to get up early at that for that one and maybe you grab a breakfast burrito and maybe you have some mimosas or something to to go at your tailgate uh, and just coffee and it's a little misty in the morning for the fall, the fall mornings in, in Eugene. And then maybe the sunshine's kind of peeking out by the time kickoff comes around. Yeah. Well, I also like the idea of, you know, you start a game at one point, but you end a game at another point. So, you know, of course the Rose Bowl is the best setting. 
It's got that two o'clock start time where it starts the, in the middle of the day, beautiful, and then it ends with the sun setting, and then it has that night feel, right? Right at the very end of the game, you know, it feels like the all the lights are on. I think that's a really cool aspect as well. So you get to kind of see, especially in the fall, I mean, it's just so beautiful. All these campuses, they just have such beautiful uh, areas that they're in, or, or most of them. And you get to see the fall colors change and everything when you're in the stadium. It's a lot of really cool aspects to the timing. Instead of it just jamming it at 7.30 every single week where it's dark already, basically, uh, at kickoff, you know. So even though you do have some late uh, starts early in the year, is really nice because it's still really warm out all throughout September. But the late games late in the year are a burn, especially with coming back. Like you said, you've got all that stuff to do, all that copy to write, all the videos, everything else to set up, all the stuff to process, and maybe go travel somewhere. You know, you're you're lucky because you're in town, but you get a lot of these guys, they got to hike it back up to Portland, you know, afterward, you know. So uh, it's just, a, it's, it's a little bit of a mess. So we like that early start time. I think it helps the crowd. I think it helps everything. Yeah, I think back when you talk about traveling or like commuting to a game, I think back to that Ohio State game. I'm not sure if you were able to go out to that one, but... Um, the one in, in Columbus last in, year. No, no. Okay. I kind of boycotted it because they didn't come out here. Not because it was their fault, but it was just one of those deals where it was like, we didn't get that real true home and home. Coming off of COVID, you know, we had all these lockdowns out here. We, there was a lot of reasons my family hit the brakes on that one. That was probably the biggest game I regret not going to, though, in my Duck career uh, as a Duck fan and uh, family member, you know, for all these years. That was one I just didn't see coming. And I kind of think now I might be on the opposite side of it where I think the Ducks might have a shot against Georgia and they might get blown out. <laughs> Miss the one and go to the other. <laughs> yeah, that, that game's got so much on the line, I feel like. <laughs> Not even from the perspective of, you know, if they if they don't win, like the season's just a failure, but just of how much they can gain if they do win or even just keep it competitive. Um yeah, really I, I, we definitely want to talk a little bit more about that game. This, I got time, to, man. Let's do it. I wanted to talk about Brooks's comment here real quick. Brooks says, yeah. living in central time zone, I love these time slots. I don't know how many of you guys watch uh, the late kick with Josh Pate, but that was one of his questions that he got on his mailbag. Uh, which time zone is the best to live in like for college football? I think the West Coast and, for all sports, is it not? I thought the West Coast was the best for all sports because you get everything so late. Yeah, no? I'd say, yeah, that, that, that could be nice too because you get everything so late. And, um, you know, when, when something's going late, you're still, it's still kind of early on, on your end, but the, I mean, the central the seven o'clock, seven o'clock start out, the, out here is a 10 o'clock start on the East coast. That's wild. Yeah. So with that, I feel like it's, it's probably got to be the West coast, um, central, central time zone. I guess you get a little bit of both where it's not too early, not too late, but I think more often than not, I mean, heck, we just saw with the Pac-12 baseball tournament, there were games that were. The first pitch in those was like 10 o'clock or even later. Hey, so that's just. That was awesome, by the way. Just a side note. That was awesome. You're a baseball fan. I'm a baseball fan. My dad pitched for the Ducks. I grew up with baseball. I'm a Mets guy. Uh, I wore the Mets jersey today, by the way, to school. They had decade day at the school today. So you got to show up with that 80s Mets gear with Dwight Gooden jersey. But I'm telling you. The, uh, the 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 baseball was just a blast to see that. I mean, they had some crazy finishes and crazy games, but for the first time doing it, I think there was kind of a cool move by Kliakoff to kind of come up with that. It, I don't know if it was a brainchild of him or not, but it uh, he can take credit for it. Uh, just getting more eyes on the, uh, the conference is, is, is always good. 
Yeah, gotta gotta get more publicity for for Pac-12, no matter what the sport is. Uh, I kind of forgot that you were a, a Mets fan, even though you've been doing these for a minute. But since I've been watching more games now, I gotta ask you: Were you watching that crazy Giants-Mets game that was thirteen to twelve? Dude, crazy! The, I was like, well, my dad I'm, was a Giants fan growing up. My dad's an old Willie Mays fan, so like, I've always loved the Giants. I've always felt like the Mets came from the Giants. You know, we had the same you know, uh, color of the Giants and the Dodgers, both. They're like the parents of the Mets, the way I look at it as a history guy. So I got a lot of love for the Giants. They're my favorite West Coast team. No doubt. And the Giants came from New York originally. I'm, I'm reading right. a, uh, a book right Polo now about Browns. the the Brooklyn Dodgers, um, you know, during the Jackie Robinson uh, era. At, of, at its of, field. Yeah, exactly. So this guy's like telling his story about what it was like to, to grow up going to those games and then eventually becoming a, a writer out there in the New York area. So kind of cool to see awesome. how that all connects. But that game was just unbelievable. I think it probably took years off my life with just how stressful it was because they were just beating the heck out of the Mets and then they were just totally imploding. And then simultaneously, Jock Peterson was having that wild game, three home runs. But, right. oh, man, it was well, refreshing. Hopefully- Hopefully, if it can go right down to the wire, it'd be great to see the Giants and Dodgers fight it out for the West and see the Mets at the end, you know, and hopefully get you know, some good representation out of this thing. I don't know. I, 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 I love uh, uh, baseball in October uh, and September. I don't think there's anything better than playoff baseball, although playoff hockey is pretty awesome. The, the If you're not a hockey fan, a great time to watch it is right now, man. Playoff hockey is just tremendous. I'm a Rangers fan. I freaking love watching that guy named playoff hockey, so... All right, let's do this thing. I'm seeing some of these comments as well. What up? No quarter tie. Let's go. Favorite duo on YouTube. What up? Yes, sir. We're, we're back at it. Um, let's go. So we did have our first question. I want to wait just a second, though, because one of the topics that I have is like directly related to that. So it'd be sure. a good kind of follow up. So sure. I was talking to my guy, Scott Bolt. Uh, if you guys aren't following Scott on all his social media channels, that's that's my photographer over at Ducks Digest, and he does amazing work. Recently got to shoot uh, Sabrina Ionescu when, when they came out to the West Coast to play the Seattle Storm. So he does a lot of awesome stuff. But he, he texted me one day with this interesting hypothetical that I kind of thought would be fun to bring on the show. So the question was, which one is more likely? More likely that Oregon beats Georgia or BYU beats Oregon? Um, I think we're going to try to peel back the layers here a little bit. Um, obviously, I know you yeah. have the fan perspective, Ryan. I try to be as this. impartial as I can. Yes, um, you're a journalist, Max. But, I mean, I, I did. I mean, in all honesty, I, I did grow up, you know, following the Ducks, and then I, I got my master's degree out here. So, uh, you know, I am a Duck, but I try to I try to keep it real as much as I can. And a Zag. Yes, and a Zag. You can, see the, you can see the Zag. Flag up there as my well. son's my son's middle name is Aloysius, man. Let's go. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. So, what do you what Let's do you go. think here about this? Uh, okay, I love this question. Situation. By the way, first and foremost, I love this question. Let's do this thing. One, I think Oregon has a real good shot against Georgia. I, I, I we've said this for the you know the entire time. We'll we'll continue to say this same sort of storyline. They got to replace a bunch of guys. Yes, they reload. Yes, they're the best, and they're one of the best. But they still have to replace these guys. First game of the year can always be dicey. You're down there. You're going to have all the pressure on them. Oregon's just going to have to put on the freshest uniforms they got, go out there, fly around, make plays, do what they can. There's not a lot of pressure on Oregon. I think Georgia is going to have a lot of fans that at that game that expect Georgia to completely blow the Ducks out. Like, they don't even have a shot 
You're the national champion. And you're from the SEC, and you're playing in one of the biggest, craziest domes we've seen in our country, right? And so it's the showcase game for Georgia, where that there's a lot of pressure on these guys. And, and, and a lot of these guys might not be the tried-and-true Georgia guys that got you to the championship and are now off to uh, the NFL. Or I don't know how much these guys have hit the transfer portal or how many guys have left their program or not, because it's a solid program, but... Still, they got a lot to replace. And Oregon has an opportunity with a bunch of guys with a big chip on their shoulder that are looking for their one window. Um, I was talking with a bunch of those guys that left uh, when the COVID year happened as soon as they lost the Ohio State game because they knew that was the biggest game on their schedule. It didn't matter to them, to their NFL draft status, this is the Brady Breeze class, if they went and played their Pac-12 schedule. Because there's really, I mean, maybe there's a little bit to gain, but there's a lot to lose, right? So with injury and everything else. So this is the showcase game. This is the game. Outside of this game, it's Utah. I mean, the whole rest of the year. And BYU's up there too, which is amazing to think about. But this is the game. And so Oregon goes into this thinking, hey, we're going to have to play our absolute best game. Why not us? And they're going to have that just fancy free attitude, brand new young coaching staff. These guys are going to be fired up. Dude, just thinking about the energy in the room makes me want to do push-ups. Like, I'm ready to go. And the idea that these guys are going to have really no pressure, they're going to have all the excuses built in already to be able to have a slow start, right? Brand new coaching staff up against national champion in their backyard, all this pressure, everything else. When in my mind, all that pressure is on Georgia. So I think Oregon has a real legitimate shot. I still think that only puts them at about 50-50. All that of what I said basically still, because you're still dealing with the best team and one of the best teams in the SEC. You're still a serious unknown, right? You still don't know what your offense is going to produce for the Ducks. You know you've got talent, and you know, but can you utilize it? Can you actually make the plays? I think defensively, I think you're pretty solid, and you've got some guys that are looking to really showcase, like Justin Flo. I think he's just going to go absolute hair on fire in that first game. But he might go too crazy and, you know, over-pursuit or whatever the case may be. You never know what happens. So that game's one of those games that, for me, if I'm putting money on it, it's fun to put money on Oregon because I think Oregon has a legitimate shot at it. I just don't know if they're going to be necessarily able to do it. Now, the BYU game. BYU goes undefeated last year against the Pac-12. They're pretty much probably in every one of those games, uh, uh, maybe going into it is not the favorite. And you have an opportunity for BYU to come in there to Autzen Stadium and really showcase. This is the bowl game for them. This is the equivalent of a bowl game. So BYU's got to come in absolutely full throttle with all these guys that are 22, 24, 26 years old coming off the mission. You got some old dudes in that room who are just like grown. They're already married with kids. I mean, they have like real lives over there. Okay. And and these guys are are, are now coming in and it's strictly business. And they can do it. They proved it last year. So Oregon's got their hands full there. That's a great question by Scott because I really believe that Utah is the team outside of 
Georgia, and then I think that third-place team that's probably the most important team on the Oregon schedule is BYU. I think even bigger than even the Husky game at this point. I think BYU is set to really do some damage. If they upset Oregon on that one and Oregon loses the first two of three, they're, they, people are going to be a little frustrated out here. Because, again, I think people have put Oregon on a little bit of a pedestal, and that's a little unknown right now. So that's what I see about it. Long answer. That's a great question. Yeah, let's see. Oh, man, okay. So let's dive into this one from the Georgia angle first and, you know, that that game. Uh, I totally agree with what you said about how there's pressure on Oregon because you want to win, obviously, and what could, that could do for the program. Program, excuse me. Um but yeah, but like they they have Georgia has all the pressure on them because they have the national championship, they have the elite recruiting classes that have just been stacking for years, they have uh, you know a lot of really talented guys that are coming back. Um, I think the quarterback situation is going to be something to watch because just because Stetson Bennett comes back, I don't think he's a shoe in to win the yeah, job because yeah. they're do. always just getting really good guys. You have Carson Beck also in that room, Brock Vandegrift, uh, who who didn't really play last year if, if memory serves there. So you have talented options at quarterback. Uh, obviously, they're even though they lost Dan Landing, you still have some some really talented and brilliant <laughs> defensive minds on that staff. Um, another thing that I think is interesting is because we know that Oregon's approaching kind of the territory that Georgia is normally inhabiting when it comes to recruiting. But I feel like the the expectation that Georgia versus Oregon, as far as being a true freshman and seeing the field right away is definitely different just if we're talking, you know, a per class basis. Um, but Oregon's starting to get those guys that are at that clip that are pushing some vets for play time. You know, Justin Flo had a, a bunch of snaps last year in that first game, right? I almost had to catch myself there because he only played one game. Um, but the pressure is all on Georgia. It's a home game essentially for them. And I think if I compare it to last year, I don't even think it's pessimistic to say that a lot of people probably didn't think that Oregon was going to win that Ohio State game. And that really put the nation on notice. I know recruits were saying like, wow, that really caught my eye to be able to, to see Oregon win that game, to see them hang with the big boys, especially for Oregon coming off of last year where the Pac-12 wasn't great, still isn't great. You barely beat a lot of the bottom schools. Cal took you down to the wire. Um, Washington State took a little bit to, to, to you know hold off. But I just think that the perception for Oregon is – is you're playing in a weak conference already, so you're kind of already getting written off. But if they can win that game, I think that would be huge. I think also when you're looking at the trenches, Ryan, that is going to be huge in this game. <laughs> Amarius Mims, I believe he was a former five-star offensive line recruit. Uh, he almost transferred, and then he decided to come back. But I bring up the trenches because Oregon is so experienced there. A lot of their returning talent is in the trenches. They're going to be able to draw back on that Ohio State game and kind of use that experience, I think, to help them, especially you have guys like Brandon Dorless coming back, Popo Amavai, and then you bolster that with more veterans like Jordan Riley, Sam Taimani. So I think that is really going to help them. What, for me, I think this could come down to, um, you know, Bonix, I think, is, is going to give Oregon a, a better shot than if they had maybe an Anthony Brown in this game, just because I think he, he plays a little bit more bold and albeit risky brand of football. Uh, but I think he's a little bit more, he's more athletic than Anthony Brown. And I think that the ceiling's higher with him at quarterback if he does end up winning that job. But is, is Oregon secondary going to be able to keep up with these Georgia skill positions? Because particularly at corner, that is a very young position. I'm not trying to cast doubt on them by any means or say that they can't do it. But the reality of the situation is that's a, 
a super young room. Um, so we definitely want to talk about BYU some more, but maybe we can stay on Georgia for a bit here. Yeah, oh yeah, no, I mean, you're talking about NFL guys. I mean, you know, you when they go down the, the list at Monday Night Football and say where they're from, a lot of those guys are from Georgia. <laughs> I mean, year after year after year, you're dealing with whoever the guys you're in that room, they're going to be the next guys in the NFL, so... Or a lot of them are. So you're going to have your hands full. And, uh, yeah, no, I think the Georgia game is going to be awesome. I just think the hype of it's going to be great the whole summer. Everybody's going to be talking about it. You know, Duck fans are going. I talked to a lot of Duck fans at the spring game about it, and they're jacked about going. It's it, it's one of these kind of showcase events. And if the Ducks can show up at one of these sort of deals, now, again, them beating Ohio State was by far the biggest road game they've ever had, the biggest for the conference, all that sort of stuff. But to do one of it at one of these events where it's one of these, you know, uh, uh, neutral site things or whatever, quote unquote, even though we know this one isn't, this would be a humongous pull for Oregon. And it would come with a lot of cachet for the rest of the conference as well. Yeah, because I think another thing you were talking about earlier was how the Chip Kelly era got started. How much momentum would this give Dan Lanning? How much confidence would this give the fan base? Not that I think that anyone's necessarily doubting Dan Lanning, but I know there was some separation of you want to go with maybe a safer coach who's a little bit more proven as far as having done it before um, with, with you, with your Kalani Satakis, with your Justin Wilcoxes uh, of the world, with your Chip Kellys. Again, you know, a lot of people, some people were talking about him coming back to Oregon, but man, that would just be such a huge way for Dan Lanning to, to start off his career. Uh, and I think that you also have to factor in the familiarity with Georgia. I don't think that's necessarily going to be uh, something that is going to, you know, really, really come in handy. Obviously it's going to be helpful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, you'd be foolish to say that it's not going to help, but I'm just trying to kind of think about what other factors are at play here. You have a, an experienced quarterback. Um, I wonder if this would be a good time to talk about what Kirby said about Bo at those, yeah, um, sure. at the, sure. the SEC meetings. Um, yeah, I, I think I think the, the the conversation from what I've had with the Auburn fans is uh, and, and, and other SEC fans is, is that, you know, Bo's going to be good and, you know, he's going to have really good times. There's also going to be times where they say, Bo, no. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just it's what it, it is what it is. Right. And uh, no, I think they're going to have a, I think they're going to have a great uh, opportunity this year. I, I think that I think that when it, when you really get down to it, you know, it's all about um, it's all about managing, you know, and that's what I thought. You know, people were a little harsh on Anthony Brown last year, but the guy managed it pretty well. You know, the guy did, you know, for the most part, what he needed to do. You know, most games to get it done, and uh, you know, yes, he had some problems here and there. And I'm not the biggest supporter of his. I'm just trying to say there was a lot of negativity his way. If Bo Nix comes out and does not like just throw the ball all over the place and light the place on fire and it's just amazing, I, I, I think there's going to be kind of a pushback and there's going to be kind of a desire that they think that Ty Thompson's going to be the guy that's going to be able to just all of a sudden fireworks and everything else. So, you know, uh, I would love to see them go out there in the first game and just play like they're playing backyard football. Just go with it. And just light it up, man, and air it out. Because I don't think they have that much to lose in that first game. Yeah, I think that that's definitely on the lines of what I'm hoping to see, is just see them air it out and kind of pull out all the stops. What's kind of funny, Ryan, is even as watered down as the spring game probably was from a play-calling perspective, 
just the fact that they were letting that thing rip, it looked so much entertaining and so much more bold, I think, than what we saw last year or even previous couple seasons uh, from, from a play calling standpoint and, you know, offensive explosion and, and all that. Uh, I do want to get to some of these questions because some of them are Georgia related. So what do you say we dive yeah. into them a little bit? Forrest Let's has a question. It. Thanks for your question, Forrest. Question is, how much does national perception ride on the Georgia matchup this season? I'll, uh, I'll start with this one. I think... I mean, you can definitely tie it in a lot with this game because, like I said earlier, the Pac-12 doesn't have a lot of respect. So aside from this game, that BYU game is the biggest one on their schedule with a non-conference designation. But I think as long as they can stay at least competitive, I feel like anything could happen in this game and it wouldn't necessarily surprise people. I think it would surprise people if Oregon won. But Oregon fans, after seeing that Ohio State game, I think that they're you know kind of in, in your ballpark Ryan, you know, I think they have a shot to, to do it and they shouldn't be getting written off. I'm, I looked at the odds before we recorded here from a couple uh, couple, sp- couple spots. Uh, FanDuel and had Oregon as a 16.5-point underdog. Vegas Insider had them as an 18.5-point underdog. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the, the national perception rides on, I'd say, a, a decent amount because Oregon has a lot of experience. They, they loaded up on some really solid additions in the transfer portal. They got some awesome guys late in that 2022 recruiting class they have an experienced passer although he's a transfer so you got to kind of see how they're going to gel uh, as an offense if, if he ends up winning the job but I, I'd say that national perception um it's it's not make or break right like if, if, if we said earlier like all the pressures on Georgia so if, if we're going to keep this thing close I think they'll definitely you know get some some respect but man if they win it then I think that if, if you can beat Georgia, you can, you know, be competitive against anybody is, is really, I think, the message that you would come away with if, if Oregon were able to pull it off. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think, they, like you said last year, with maybe not everybody thinking that you're going to be able to get that win in Columbus and you come away with it, you know, you set a different standard for the program at that point. And they could do the exact same thing here uh, going forward. You know, this is going to be a really interesting one. And that's why I was so excited to get tickets to go down there because I think just the whole energy behind this game is going to be so much. It's, it, it, it might feel a little deflating after the game's over because, you know, now you got to regroup it, go to you know, pl- come home, plays from Washington, and start to rebuild the rest of your schedule because this is going to be such a one-off. And I think sometimes, you know, in, in, you have these games in, in week two, right, like you did last year, and it feels like you're playing your whole summer to go play, you know, Fresno State, it's not the same kind of a buildup that it is if you had that first game against Ohio State. So I think there's going to be such a huge national media connection to this game. I think Oregon needs to win one of these. I think they had it right in the bag for Auburn, obviously. Bo Nix is a freshman, and they let it that one slip away. And, uh, and, and you're going to have to cash one of these in at some point. I mean, the year they played LSU and the Honey Badger ripped that ball right out of DeAnthony's hands at the goal line to score. I mean, geez, I mean, you have these opportunities against these really high-quality teams at the exact right time. Like, literally, the matchmakers literally designed this from the the Disney Nike lab of just, like, perfect. I mean, the freaking defensive coordinator comes out here. I mean, come on. You know, so to be able to put this thing together the way it's set up is absolutely perfect. So there's going to be a lot riding on this game. I think the perception is Pac-12 is the weakest conference in the country. So Pac-12 needs to do a lot. You know, Utah, Florida, same day. Excited for that one. Dude, pumped. Pumped. That's that's a that's a huge game. 
um, you know, Washington, uh, Michigan State. Uh, there's there's some other games out there uh, that are going to be big. Um, and you know, it's I think uh, Washington State goes out to uh, Camp Randall to uh, Wisconsin. You know, these are games the Pac-12 is going to need to cash in. You know, last year everybody got excited when UCLA beat LSU, and then they were like, oh yeah. LSU hadn't been home in a month because of a hurricane and it was coming off of COVID and the rest of their season didn't pan out at all the way they thought it would. And maybe that was not the greatest win. Comparatively to Oregon beating Ohio State, that does exactly what Ohio State does, rebounds, goes, and wins the Rose Bowl in glorious fashion against Utah. So it's this idea that, like, on, like, their third string, basically, you know, it's it's a, it's a situation where I just I'm 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 fascinated by this year. I'm fascinated by the fact that Oregon's going to have to carry the load again. They're going to have to win this game to have their conference be able to show up. They might go a couple three wins, but we haven't won a bowl game in our conference since Justin Herbert in the Rose Bowl. So the Pac-12 is in real dire straits right now. They're at the point, even though we're the conference of champions in every other sport, we're not in football and we haven't been there in basketball. So they're going to have to break through at some point here or else there's going to be other conferences looking to part, uh, you know, take, take whatever they can and poach whatever they can out of our conference. And teams like Oregon and teams like USC or Stanford or Washington maybe might think of themselves as a little bit on a different level than some of the other schools in the conference. And they might take the first check that goes their way. This could happen and completely implode the conference. So I think the conference needs to step up quickly win games immediately get ourselves back onto the national registry there's a lot of buzz behind uh, lincoln riley to usc this is the year they have to come out and start winning some games win a bunch of bowl games win some non-conference games start rebuilding the thing uh and uh, and then rebuild it in basketball as well you know he had a great year with a couple years ago where he had a bunch of teams in last year didn't do as well but the goal is every year to continue to get those big money programs and big money opportunities to be able to cash those checks because we know how much money it is to be able to be there at the end it's a huge deal i like your point about it's time to cash in i think especially with the previous matchups that oregon's have with with sec teams you look at lsu look at auburn uh multiple times um it, it does feel like it's time for them to to really kind of get over the hump when it comes to playing the sec SEC and the Big Ten are the two premier conferences in, in the sport, right? So I think another way I would want to tie this back in, I talked about this a while ago before the draft. I said that the NFL draft is really Oregon's best recruiting tool because they don't have a national championship. You guys can go watch that that video and, and that podcast and let me know your thoughts there. Um, but if they were able to defeat the national defending national champions, depleted or not, that's still something you're going to be able to say after – if you can potentially win this game, that would be another thing that they could use in recruiting because recruiting is such an interesting deal, Ryan. And, and especially with the fact that they don't have that natty, they could be, they could tell recruits like, Oh yeah. Do you want to be the next, a part of the next team that storms into sec country and, and knocks off a team like this? So I think that it's, it's absolutely time to cash in. And uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to fully, project all the good things that could come from them getting a win of this caliber oh absolutely and uh you know and i i do think the natty thing you know people are, are are fired up about that and they use that against oregon all the time i think it actually is a positive thing at this point for oregon because 
they're using that as a carrot as well in the recruiting. Be a part of something special. Be a part of the first group that brings that home, whatever else the case may be. And it may, might never happen. I mean, every year it feels like more conversation. We get farther and farther apart. But, you know, it, at the end of the day, you want your guys to be solid. You want those guys to win as many games as possible, have as many positive experiences as possible. Promote the brand as much as you can. Put yourself in the best position to be in the best games at the end of the year. And show up at the end of the year. And when all those things come together, you have a great year and you have something to really be proud about. If one of those things doesn't work, something's wrong in the season. And people are ready to bail quickly. <laughs> Even if you have a great year and you lose at the end, like last year. So there's always something. But I, I do think that realistic expectations are that Oregon should be above 500 every single year. And be in the running for the, uh, the, the, the Pac-12 championship. We're going to keep diving into this Georgia game a little bit more, as well as the BYU game, which is on the non-conference slate, right after we take a quick break here uh, on the Duck's Dish podcast. So make sure you stick around, and we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. All right. Welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm talking with Ryan Winter, a.k.a. Sports Chat 503, talking some Oregon football. Haven't gotten any recruiting questions just yet, but I like the direction that the show is going peeling back the layers on one of Oregon's most anticipated matchups in recent years. We're talking Georgia and Oregon. We got another question from our comment from Matthew Maximus. Thanks for your comment. Matthew says, I think they'll throw it all over Georgia. The offensive line will be able to handle themselves enough to give the passer time. That's kind of goes back to my point earlier, Ryan, about how it pays to have the experience in the trenches that Oregon has right now. You look at guys like Alex Forsyth, Sala, um, walk. So we got walk. 
Um, they're, those guys are all back. Steve Jones. Steven Jones, they're all back from, from last season. So and TJ Bass. And TJ Bass. Probably their best player. I'm, I mean, graded to the NFL. I think uh, Steven Jones, and, and if he has a big year this year, but I, I, I think TJ Bass has a real opportunity to play at the next level. Yeah, so their their offensive line is is locked and loaded without a doubt. And you'll, you'll have Josh Connerly in the rotation. I don't know how realistic it is to maybe see him in that game. But you have some good pieces that you added in the 2022 haul. Um, and then Georgia, they they have some some talented defensive backs. The biggest one that comes to mind is Keely Ringo, who's from out here in the Pacific Northwest, the you know the Seattle area, Tacoma area originally before he played high school ball in Arizona. But he had that game-sealing interception, so he's a huge name to know in that secondary. But I like the pieces that the Ducks added at wide receiver, at running back. Uh, and, and with the creativity that we saw in the spring game, I don't think it's uh, – it's too crazy to think that the Ducks could have some pretty good success in the passing game, especially if they can run the ball well. Right, and I think that's what they're going to have to do to win. I think uh, that's the recipe for success here, right? I think uh, you've got your offensive line. Your offensive line is solid. We talked about Big Sala coming back was a big deal. It kind of set everything in motion. Everybody else is coming back. We knew Forsyth was going to come back and walk, and those guys were going to use that extra year, but... I think T.J. Bass really can uh, can do some things this year to, to project himself to a pretty good NFL opportunity. And then I think the you know quarterback's best friend is always the good running game. Oregon's had a good running game, but they've had a good running game at the expense of ha- not having a great passing game, right? And so now it looks like they're going to have the opportunity to be balanced and to be able to use it and to be able to go fast and maybe have some explosion plays, all of which they really haven't seen in the last couple, three, four years with Cristobal, right? You've not gone fast, you've done slower, you've done more methodical offense, and you really haven't hit any big explosion plays. Now, you did up the middle with CJ last year against Ohio State. That was obviously a gasher. And you did have some big plays here and there out of passing plays that were really short, basically extensions of the running game. Well, now it looks like what you can see on the spring game is is they're going to air it out. I mean, right? The first two plays uh, for both sides of the offense were, you know, 50-yard, 60-yard bombs. So, Get what we see. I like the idea that Oregon's going to be able to have theirs. Now, does that mean they're going to be able to run up and down the field on Georgia? No. Georgia's still got absolutely stud linebackers, safeties, DBs, everybody else, linemen up front. When I think defensive linemen that I'd like to see on my NFL team, I think Georgia defensive linemen, right? So, I, I mean, these guys are stacked up. Even if they are replenishing from last year, it's going to be refreshing to them to do that because these guys are hungry. And they're not looking to come out there and lose this first game. Like we said, there's a lot of pressure on them, but that also means they're going to come to rise to the occasion, which is a danger zone for Oregon because Oregon could really be in a meat grinder that we don't even really realize. Here we are in delusional land thinking, oh, yeah, we got this. I'm going to put money on it. They got an 18-point spread. I'm going to put money on this thing. We get beat by 30. So, I mean, the ideology is you got to be able to go into it understanding, got to play the game. And you like what you see on offense for Oregon because, again, like you say, all the pieces are in place. You've got the veteran quarterback. If you don't have the veteran quarterback, you got the talented young kid. Either way, we're looking okay, right? You got the running game. You got the, oh my God, just stacks on stacks on stacks of wide receivers. Guys that are old who have transferred in, like Chase Cotto, who you know are going to get first downs for you in this Georgia game. He's going to come up with 
three or four humongous plays that are going to be the difference makers in some of these games because he's the type of guy that gets you first downs. He's the type of guy that when you need that third and seven and you go over the middle, he's the guy that grabs it out of the defensive back's hands. Instead of having to be an interception go the other way, he's the guy who's going to fight for your quarterback and go get that ball if it's not a very good pass, which it might not be, right? Oh, no. So the ideology is, is that you have this situation where Oregon's just got to come up on defense. They've got to make this game close, and they have to step up and probably get a play or two on defense, just like we talked about in that Ohio State game. Probably going to need a turnover or two. You had one at the end to seal it, which was humongous, but to come up with one early on in the game, flip the field, do something to put yourself in a better position, advantageous position, is going to be the secret to to win this game. I don't know if they're going to be able to, but I'm excited either way. Because I think the way that this whole league sets up right now, or whole season sets up right now, is Oregon still has the opportunity with a loss to come out and win the Pac-12 and be right back in the conversation. And if they keep it close like they did that year against Auburn, that actually might help them out long term. Instead of getting blown out in some sort of a ugly fashion, keep it real nice and tight. Be proud of what you've done out there. Maybe you take the L, but you come back, you rebuild, and you get the rest of your season going. So I'm stoked about this game. I think offensively, defensively, they have enough to be in it. And that's all we need. Yeah, and that's a really good point. You just you want to be in it, and then hopefully you, you have your veterans who can come through and lean on that experience, or you have some guys that are just flat-out better athletes, potentially. I'm not saying that Oregon has the matchup advantage across the board by any means, but the way that their talent has been stacked – they're getting towards that level to, to be more competitive with teams of this caliber. So I'm excited to see how that works. And you mentioned the defensive line. There's a lot of really talented guys in the defensive line for Oregon or sorry for Oregon and for Georgia. Um, we're talking Michael Williams, the five-star uh, recruit from the 2022 class that Oregon was in the running for, but he's a Georgia guy. So not really that much of a surprise to see that he ultimately ended up staying in his home state. And you have Jalen Carter who, might have been one of the top selections in this year's draft. Were he eligible? I feel like everything I read about him was just rave, rave reviews. But we've talked a ton about the Georgia game. Let's shift a little bit more in this non-conference slate to stay on this topic of BYU. Let's talk about BYU and kind of how that, what that matchup presents for Oregon. I talked about the lines that have kind of been opened for that Georgia game. And then for, for BYU... I see that uh, that game that Oregon's listed as a six and a half point favorite by Odds Checker and FanDuel. So let's just kind of lay the scene, set the scene here. Um, I think or so with Oregon, that's their third game of the season. So they'll have the heavy hitter again, matchup against Georgia, and then you have what you would think would be you know kind of a tune-up game against Eastern Washington. They come down uh, from from Wash from the Pacific Northwest, uh, just down from a state. Uh, to play against Oregon, probably going to present a much, much easier matchup for the Ducks, but definitely kind of a a sleeper team in terms of just, we saw how competitive it was, I feel like, when they came out here in recent years. So that's not a gimme game at all, but it's definitely a lot easier than the Georgia and BYU games. But BYU comes back uh, to this game. They they return their quarterback from last year, Jaron Hall, uh, threw for just over 2,500 yards, 20 touchdowns, and five Interceptions, 63.9% completion percentage, added 307 yards on the ground. And then you have other guys that come back. You got Puka Nakua, the former UW wide receiver who returns to his home state. Um, Oregon was in the running for him coming out of high school, but I think he's a really good weapon for them offensively. Um, And then you also add in Chris Brooks, the running back from Cal in the backfield. So 
uh, BYU's got some consistency is basically the big point that I'm kind of trying to dive into here. You got Kalani Sataki coming back. I feel like they're, if you're BYU, you got to feel like you're just about to hit another gear. Um, like you said, Ryan, they were undefeated against the Pac-12 last year. Would love to keep that trend going with a win over Oregon. Um, so I think that BYU enters this game definitely as a, a very, very worthy opponent. Uh, but as far as to answer to a degree this question, more likely Oregon beats Georgia or BYU beats Oregon, I would say I think right now it is really early still, but I think I'm going to say it's more likely that Oregon beats Georgia than BYU beats Oregon. Oregon's played really, really well at home. Um, and, man, BYU has a, a crazy schedule. They have to play South Florida and BYU – or sorry, Baylor, the defending Big 12 champs, the week before they come out to Eugene – so Oregon, they're both going to be coming off tough games to start their season, but I think that Oregon kind of has, a, a you know, in terms of the week immediately preceding the game, Oregon plays Eastern Washington, and then BYU has to play Baylor. So I think this will be a good one, no doubt. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I love the matchup of BYU, by the way. Let's go back in the time machine. One of the best games I've ever been to at Autzen Stadium, Ty Detmer, 1990, I want to say. Ty Detmer was going for the Heisman, and uh, BYU is an absolutely crushing team, one of the best teams in the country. Again, this is a team that, as an independent schedule, was able to be at the same type of level that Notre Dame was at, scheduling-wise, and put themselves at the end of the year in a basically position to be undefeated or with one game lost uh, almost every year. These guys printed wins, and... So this is a schedule uh, that, you know, I like. I like the uh, yellow light, green light, red light, right? And you have that real tough game against Georgia. You have that easier game against Eastern Washington. And now you have this one, the three little bears syndrome, whatever you want to call it. And this is an opportunity, BYU said. There's a lot of guys returning. School like BYU is going to benefit from the transfer portal big time going on in the future. Yeah, Kingsley. Big, huge. Look at that urban connection. Absolutely. And not only that, but you're going to have guys leave other schools in our conference and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go here. They got a starting spot for me. And there's guys ready to play, ready to win now. And that same thing goes in basketball. I was at the BYU game when Oregon got hammered this year in basketball at the Moda Center. And I'm like, dude, these guys are grown men. Like, watch out. These are the guys who you look across the hall or look across the, the field at and you're like, ah, we got this today, boys. Let's go. All of a sudden, down by four, down by eight. Down by 16. Down by 30. What the hell just happened here? And that's what happens against BYU, man. They're not the guys you want to see walk into the gym. They're the guys you're like, oh, dude, we're good. We're good. No, you're not. And BYU is going to come into this thing fired up. It's going to be a huge game for them. They've got a big schedule. Like you said, they've got a bunch of Pac-12 teams on that schedule, too, again. And and Kalani Sataki came in through here for an interview, right? Maybe it was leveraged to get himself more money, which he did. Congratulations. But like you said, they're on to something. They're looking for the next level. And with all this chitter-chatter around all this conferences and 18 playoffs and all this other sort of stuff, BYU, you need to watch out for. Because they're looking to be the Utah before Utah joined the Pac-12. Yes, that's a great comparison. Yeah, because they're out here. And they're winning. Who They, they, they think they have the, big, the Pac-12 championship. They're like, Pac-12 champion, that's us. We're undefeated in the conference. <laughs> so they, they've got swagger, and they've got uh, games to prove it. So 
man, uh, they're dangerous. You better watch out for them. And I, I would think that right now, going into the season, this game is more impactful, let's say impactful for Oregon's season um, than the Washington game. Because I do think Washington's on a rebuild. I think Washington hit, hit, hit kind of rock bottom a little bit late in that year last year. And they're going to be on a rebuild coming in this year. I don't know if they're going to be able to beat Oregon if Oregon's running the way we think Oregon's going to be running. This BYU team could come in here with Oregon at full strength and absolutely punch them right in the mouth. Yeah, the the way that things have gone in, in Seattle, I'm right there with you as far as Washington. It's not a team you should write off because we all know how no. crazy rivalries can be, right? At least sure. that certain sure. week. But as far as a team that has more going for them, more factors in their favor, the consistency, something that Washington doesn't have, something that USC doesn't have. They do between Lincoln Riley and some of the guys that he recruited and some of the guys that he played with at Oklahoma. But BYU, I, I love that comparison of the Utah before Utah because I think that their their schedule is just a beast. I mean, let's just read off some of these other games. They play Notre Dame uh, in Vegas to, to start off October they they host awesome. Arkansas in the middle of October. They have Liberty yes. coming in. We got games against Boise State, and then they play Stanford to close out the regular season. So this is a this is a team that's really kind of pushing forward to, to try to say, hey, we can we can play some big boy ball. Um, and I think, and, it, and it, it's hard to schedule those games, Max. Those are hard games because nobody wants to play them. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I feel like <laughs> BYU. It's it's not like a team that has a lot of national respect, but. When when coaches are scheduling these games, like that's a that's a team that you you don't want to play. It's kind of like you know the the March Madness, you know, a team that you don't want to see when it comes to you know your your chance to face them uh, come March because maybe they just went on a tear to end their season and then they added they had stacked a couple games in the first couple of rounds. So I feel like I, I mean I don't want to pump BYU up too much, but I definitely want to give them the respect they deserve. And then you also have like we said Kingsley coming over. Uh, we'll see if he's in the rotation. I think that kind of just has some interest from an Oregon angle because um, a lot of people were kind of billing him as the next Panay, which really wasn't fair because you know he wants to to write his own story and they they kind of had different bodies and, and play styles coming coming to Oregon. But this is a guy that has I think a lot of expectations as far as going to Utah or sorry BYU. Certainly not the caliber of guy that they typically get, um, but I think. If BYU can win this game, that would be big for them because they're, like we said, they have a crazy schedule and they're heading to the Big 12 next year. So, um, yeah, again, just to kind of circle back to the question, I feel like right now it's more likely that Oregon beats Georgia just because Oregon's been playing so well at home. But it is a game that's early in the season. And, um, you know, maybe Oregon's still trying to kind of find their footing and, and, you know, they have some things to tweak here and there and BYU can kind of, squeak in and, and take advantage of some of those deficiencies before they kind of get things really rocking and rolling. But at the same, on the same note, let's play the other hypothetical. What if Oregon does beat Georgia and then they just hammer Eastern Washington as they should. Exactly. Um, exactly. And then they roll into this game with just, you know, a boatload of confidence and they just steamroll <laughs> them. Um, uh, dude, I think now get your popcorn. <laughs> yeah. Cause then you're looking at three and O, you know, heading into pac 12 play, which is yeah, really. obviously where you want to be. And, and, and if you're Oregon, I mean, that's the absolute, I mean, that just gave me chills just thinking about that. I mean, it, it, that's the ultimate, right? Because then you've got that first game at Pullman. 
for Oregon in their in their uh, conference schedule, which is going to be absolutely wild. You know what you're going to get up there. You're going to get craziness. At least it's earlier in the year, so you don't have to deal with a lot of weather. But you've got Stanford. You've got Arizona. You've got UCLA. Cal, like you said last year, gave Oregon a bunch of trouble. Then you've got that last slot where it's going to be really difficult. Washington, Utah, and the Bees on the road. So Oregon's going to have their hands full. I mean, if you're BYU, this could be a magical year because you're not going to be in You're going to that last year of independence. You don't have any sort of tie-in with anything. It's going to be harder. It's way harder for BYU to get in the four-team playoff than it is Notre Dame. Notre Dame just has to basically win out. They're in. Uh, BYU has a major leap. They have to, like, not only win out and be amazing, but they, I, 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 they have to be really good. <laughs> but... If they win, if they first game that USF game, they win. If they beat Baylor, and then they come in, and they beat Oregon, and they're sitting 3-0, and buddy, wild. it's going to be insane. And then they've got Wyoming, they've got Utah State. But, dude, the Notre Dame-Arkansas, they could beat Arkansas. And then you're talking about, oh, SEC, right? Then you're talking about everything. Now they've got some easier games in their schedule. They finish off with Stanford. A team at the end of the year that might kind of be done, right? Stanford's shown this, that if they don't really win out and end strong, sometimes they can kind of fade at the end of the year. This is be after the big game. This is like the end of the end of the year, kind of that exhibition game at the end of your season. It's going to be a little weird. So BYU's in an opportunity. They're looking at their schedule saying, hey, what if? Why not us? We could be in the four-team player. We could literally have one loss on our schedule and still be in a hell of a great situation at the end of this year. And no one's going to tell us we can't be there. They will use a non-conference uh, you know, championship game against them uh, because they won't have an opportunity there. But they're going to be going into the big conference next year, so they'll be hyping them up on that. Yeah. So I, I, use on it. I, I wonder if there's some Pac-12 fans that maybe want BYU in the Pac-12 as opposed to some <laughs> other underachieving schools, but we're we're not going to get all into that. Um, yeah. I feel like they're you know they're definitely making a name for themselves as one of the better programs out west. And uh, to to reference Slayer's comment here, we got something BYU hasn't dealt with yet. Otson, let's flip it on their on the other side. If, I think <laughs> if I'm Oregon, I'm happy that I'm getting this game at home because. Oh, I mean, I, I haven't been to Salt Lake City for for the Utah games, but I heard that that atmosphere at Rice Eccles is insane. I've, yes. I've, I'm well aware of, of BYU fans because I went to Gonzaga, like we talked about sure, at the top. So sure, I sure. know that BYU fans are kind of nuts, but that just oh. means that they're super passionate about it. Um, but, man, I think the more I talk about it, Ryan, the more excited I get for, for this game because I'm happy that it's not a, a gimme game because it's it's a, yeah. both Georgia. Georgia's like, you know, how close is Oregon to really making that next leap? And then I think a game like this is just another really good one that's going to kind of I feel like gauge where, where Oregon's at. I think if you can, I think BYU, let's put it this way. The, the game against Georgia will be a good barometer of how, how far Oregon can contend nationally. Like how, how, you know, where's Oregon at as far as competing with the best teams in all of college football, this BYU game, I think is going to give Oregon a good barometer of how are we looking going into PAC 12 play? Cause if you can really handle a team like BYU I feel like you got to have confidence against pretty much everybody in the conference, save maybe Utah. And then, um, I mean, we can talk about, you know, all the skill talent that USC has, but they haven't proved a, proved a darn thing. 
But Utah is a proven commodity at this point. Yeah, even if you get to the Pac-12 at, at the end, right? So, yeah, no, Utah's the team. Utah's the game, 100%. You have to give them their respect. They come off the championship, and they drilled you twice in a row like clockwork. Uh, you got to give them respect going into it. But this is a year that Oregon should be competitive all the way through the end of the year and be probably favored in most games. I, I they might not be favored in that Utah game just out of how what things are going in the regular season. But if Utah falters a little bit and Oregon's playing well, Oregon will be favored at home. That that won't that they won't matter about that too much. We 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 are putting a lot more onus on last year than next year will. You get two three weeks into next year, they're not going to talk about last year. They're only going to talk about this season. So every season's a new season. So, uh, but we kind of linger right between between seasons, especially now we're to, out here in June talking about this stuff, which is great. But the ideology is is that if you break the kind of the mold and you win that first game against Georgia, then it's an absolute expectation you beat BYU. If you lose to Georgia, then BYU is like a test. Mm-hmm. You know, BYU is a real legitimate test, which which is probably where it is. I mean, if there's probably three rungs on the ladder, it's probably Georgia, Oregon, and BYU. And and BYU might think they're better than Oregon right now, which they have every right to believe that if they want to. But there's yeah, a lot where of last season fans. ended. True. And, the, and, and there's a lot of fans that maybe think that Oregon could be on the same path or maybe even better than Georgia, which they have the right to believe that too. I don't know if it's correct or not. But, you know, the way it sits right now is these are games that Oregon has the opportunity to show up and, and like you said, cash in. And, and it would do a tremendous amount for our conference if we could start to stack some of these non-conference games. Not just for Oregon now, for everybody else. Cal's got a big game, uh, UCLA. Every, everybody's got a big game on their schedule for the most part. And they're going to have to start winning them. Yeah, that, that, Florida, that Florida-Utah game is going to be a really fun one to watch. Uh, Billy Napier's first year, um, but I think because Florida is a team that I think historically has recruited better than Utah, but that was part of the reason Dan Malone got fired is because he wasn't recruiting at a high enough level, and Billy Napier has got that thing humming pretty quickly. Um, as far as just you know to kind of kind of wind things down a bit uh, from an Oregon angle, what's what's next for Oregon now? We're we're June first. The Ducks just closed out a really successful month on the recruiting trail in, of, in May, in my opinion. You got Dante Dowdell coming over from Mississippi, the running back. He committed, got him in the fold. And then you got Jurion Dickey, the talented wide receiver out of Northern California. And then you got uh, Ashton Cozart, who's another big-time guy, uh, wide receiver, playing his junior and senior seasons in Texas, but originally a Pacific Northwest guy, so a homecoming of sorts for him. And then just uh, you know, two days ago, you had Cody DeCamber, the Bishop Gorman safety. So you're getting the ball rolling on on uh, the defensive side of the ball um, with, with you know some really heavy hitters as far as recruiters go there with Dan Lanning and Tosh Lapoy. And then as we get into June here, some of the rest of those 2022 guys are, are going to start arriving. So time to get those guys up to speed, get them in the weight room. I, I know that's one of the things that you mentioned um ryan as far as just kind of how college football has changed a little bit is just how much more college ready these guys are coming out of high school they're they're you know getting the top training as far as the skill and technique uh goes and then you have them just looking like they live in the weight room with a lot of these programs that oregon uh recruits uh nationally they're i talk to these guys and they're saying we we run things like a college program here so it's just kind of shortening the gap 
narrowing the gap a little bit as far as making these guys more ready to make that jump to the college level and, and really just kind of shorten that transition period. Oh, absolutely. I, I was talking the other day to the coach at my high school, and he's like, man, if I had what these kids have today, man, he's like, I was eating Burger King a week before the Daily Doubles, and Daily Doubles was the first time I'd worked out all summer. <laughs> he's like, I mean, these kids now are just absolutely ripped. I mean, they're going to seven-on-seven -seven drills all through the summer. They're doing one-on-one -on -one stuff. They're doing different training. They're doing different nutrition stuff. I mean, all these different things, right? But you still, you can't, uh, uh, you know... When anybody develops as a person, they're also developing naturally on the time scale, a time frame of just a natural human. And the development between 18 and 22 is pretty important. I'm a child development guy because I'm a teacher and I work with kids basically 14 to 18, and which is a huge jump as well. But it's equal to 18 to 22 in mass and in filling out and in absolutely owning one's body. You get these guys who come in at 18 years old and yes, they've started to hit their weights a little bit. They're pumping a little bit, but you put them on a real weight plan that's 100%, that's funded, that's fueled by the university where these kids can actually eat all the time. Because again, we're talking about in my day where guys, they were hungry. They weren't even getting enough food. They couldn't get a pizza from the pizza place to feed them, more or less an alum buying them a slice of pizza or a booster. Now... I can have an NIL deal. I got all the pizza and pizza I want. I mean, <laughs> we, we've come full circle. You can go get as many Gatorades as you want now. As many of those bars and shakes and smoothies. And so these guys now, the transfers are just as important to me as the recruits. Because these transfers are coming in ready to go. Uh, Marquis Irving, dude, he's ready to play now. He's going to get minutes now. He didn't transfer to sit on the bench, run the scout team. No, he's going to play now. Look at Chase Cota. I, when Chase Cota transferred in, I was like, wow, there's a bunch of receivers here. I don't know. Dude, spring game. He's like, oh, he's a starter. <laughs> he, they, these guys are legitimate. These guys are coming in. The transfers are coming in just as important to me as the transfers or as the, uh, the recruits. No, this June is going to be incredibly exciting. It is one of the best times right now to be a duck. In the last five years... They have turned recruiting into being one of the seasons of Duck football, which never existed before. And, you know, you're at the precipice of this. You are one of the experts, and you're running your program off of it because why would you not? There's so much in it. So many people are in it from every different level. Middle school kids are in it because they think they're next. All the high school kids are in it because they're a part of the thing. Even if they're not even on the mixtape, they might be the guard on the mixtape. Oh, do you see him? I, that was me. He he just torched. These kids want to be a part of the system. And uh, then you have all the college people who are into it. And then you have a tremendous amount of fans who I think, personally, they like the recruiting better than the regular season. I think they like the recruiting aspect of getting to know these kids and being on a watch list, being on a top six down to a top three, okay, well, this is the day. They're all excited about it. They've been tweeting these kids, everything else, powered by the Twitter spaces, whatever the case may be. I mean, there's so much excitement and buildup into these kids now. They've never existed before. I mean, this is like a spaceship taking off right now. So it's a good time to be a part of it. And the Ducks are there. The Ducks have a name brand that people want to be a part of. 
and they're promoting it across every single platform at all times. Uh, it, it's pretty hard to compete against if you're the Beavs, Washington State, Cal, you know, teams that historically Oregon used to compete against for recruits. Consistently, and now it's not even the, close. The, no. The, we would be recruiting of the same defensive linemen, the same safeties, the same running back. Those were the guys that Oregon was at that level of. Now it's not even close. Now Oregon is Oregon is in these kids' top six, top eight, and Oregon hasn't even contacted him. The kids are putting Oregon in there. They're like, oh yeah, I'm I'm going to <laughs> I'm putting Oregon in this thing. It's no, hundred percent thing, yeah. So Yeah, that that happens. You know, the guys just, you know, they'll put Oregon in their top list or whatever, maybe to get some, you know, get some buzz, but like they're not really necessarily, you know, that involved yet. Um, but then, you know, just it's it's happening earlier and earlier. That's one of the things that I think I, I was kind of – I didn't really know how to think about it at first uh, when, when the new Oregon staff got hired was just how they're just blitzing these guys like that are way down the road. But that's what you got to do. you got to get that foot in the door early so that you can – when it becomes time, you know, the 2024s are having contact with the coaches now. Obviously, the 2023s are on the clock. You've got to build that relationship early. Um, Oregon, as far as recruiting goes, I, I feel like it, it's – if you don't know now – I think it's pretty clear that Oregon football recruiting under Dan Lanning is going to match, if not surpass what it did under Mario Cristobal. There's just so many different factors that are going into it. Um, And Oregon's, you know, they're winning on the field last season. The way it ended was obviously not great, but it kind of feels like a little bit of a fresh start. You have some really solid pieces to build off of last year, like the Ohio state win. And then you have guys like Dan Lanning that are here fresh off a national championship, Tosh Lapoy. Talk about a guy that Oregon fans have wanted on the staff forever. Now is the time to cash in as far as the, his re- elite recruiting abilities. And then you have a bunch of other guys like Adrian Clem, Demetrius Martin, Kenny Dillingham. You know, the list goes on of just big names on this staff. And it really is a great time for the Ducks. They're, they're laying the foundation for a massive month of recruiting here in June. Uh, I think I'm going to save, you know, some more tidbits on that for a, ne- a different podcast. Um, because I just wrote a story about some of the crazy talent that they have coming to town for visits on officials uh, this month towards the end of the month. So if you guys haven't checked that out, definitely go over to DucksDigest.com to to check that out. But Ryan, we're kind of winding down here. Just anything can, else you wanted to can, talk about? Yeah, can we just run through some of these comments real quick? I got I just checked this out. I didn't have access to it the whole time. I got the Slayer talking about the coaches buying soda and pizza all the time. Oh, yeah, baby. Talking about uh, uh, Steve. I got Steve in there talking about to have a pull off another Ohio State. That'd be awesome. I saw somebody say a favorite uniform combo. You got a uniform combo off the top of your head, Max? You got a t- top one or two? Oh, easy. Um, so I would say my top one of all time for Oregon has to be the 2014, the pick retro uniforms against Washington. Let's go. Um, those, those are just absolutely amazing. I got a, one of my birthday gifts actually from my parents was a Marcus Mariota, uh, you know, jersey like that with, I mean, it, it obviously didn't match up perfectly, but that was the colorway they were going for. Um, I also really liked the, um, oh, shoot, what was it? Um, I, well, the Stormtrooper Whites against USC, those were definitely yeah. some some all-time Storm greats. LA. Um, yeah. And then you also have, I guess, another one that I'm just going to put out there. Uh, shoot, I can't remember which game it was. It might have been the Pac-12 championship game. Uh I feel like the, it was an all-black uniform when Marcus was here. Um, but I feel like the all-black ones go super hard. So those are the, some yeah. of the ones that, that kind of come to mind for me. Now i got to turn it back to you. Maybe some people yeah. in the comments. Let's uh, go. Favorite one. Like, let's go, like, top three maybe. 
Okay, let's go. Top three. So I, I'm partial to the original 80s uniform that was pretty standard throughout the 80s, but I kind of like the even old, more old school than that with the, the classic yellow pants with the green uh, top, you know, just the classic yellow helmet with the UO on it. That's kind of the Bobby Moore era, the 70s stuff, Dan Fouts era stuff, right? Which they've done a lot of throughout all Chip Kelly era. Even last year, they did a lot of the mismatch pants. So where they'd have the green on one side of there. But uh, I think the Ohana jersey is freaking amazing. Ooh. I think that jersey is so good with that starlight kind of thing in the helmet or whatever. Amazing. Rose Bowl with the chrome dome, dude, is like one of the best, man. The dark green, the Rose Bowl with all that color going on with the sunset and everything, dude. Pretty, pretty tough to top that one. Uh, I, I like actually the one that's framed right in front of me right here is Jeremiah Johnson, 24, the first game with the wings. Uh, this is against Arizona the year before they actually had the wings on the Jersey, uh, for the whole season. This was when they still had the, uh, carbon fiber look and, uh, or the, the, the box, uh, print diamond print like in the back of the trucks and whatnot which i thought was kind of cool too so uh but that was the first game they wore the black so you were talking about the black jersey so if you look at the uh arizona game uh with uh, uh that was the uh Masoli era with uh, jeremiah johnson that was the year they went to the uh, holiday bowl against oklahoma state but i love the the basic green and yellow i was one of those uh Guys who, when they kind of went with the crazy colorway where they looked like Cal in that game against Washington, where it was like the state flag, you know, or they... Oh, they the Webfoots? Yeah, the Webfoot one, or they went with sort of other, other sort of things. And I kind of like the traditional green and yellow. Uh, I love when uh, the Civil War is happening or the rivalry game now, you want to call it, and they're in the like all green or all yellow or whatever. But I do like the... A green top with the yellow pants with the yellow helmet. That's my favorite look. It's this most old school classic look, like from the you know uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, when all you had was just a color pants, color jersey, and a helmet. Most of the time, Oregon had the green with the white, and then the yellow. I do like the white and yellow on the road too. I'm kind of partial to that. Uh, take I don't like to really take that much green on the road. I like the yellow and white. Uh, combo as well. So uh, those are my, some of my favorite uh, uh, jerseys. And, and again, we haven't even started talking about basketball jerseys or any of that sort of stuff. Those oh, are a whole nother those, one. That's a whole nother ball game. So yeah, dude, Max, can't thank you enough, man. You're the man. Uh, just uh, looking at a couple of those uh, uh, came in here. I think it's so cool that we have this opportunity, right? To have live streaming, to have questions, comments, all this sort of, sort of stuff. I want to do so much more of this this year. And so I'd love to do something where we can come together as a whole kind of community and share our thoughts and, and kind of have our, our, our platform to be able to do this. So I'm going to try to do a live stream every week throughout the regular season and have people jump in on it and give an opportunity for different people to kind of come in and join uh, the stream and join the chat. Uh, so if you guys are interested in any of that sort of stuff, let me know. The easiest way to get a hold of me is sportschat uh, is uh, sportschat503 at gmail. Uh, easiest way to get hold of me is just through the YouTube channel or whatever else I'm, I have access. But I'm on Twitter, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Instagram, I'm on all that sort of stuff. So let's do this thing, bro. Yeah, go make sure you guys tap in with, with Ryan on all his social platforms. He's doing a lot of great stuff fostering that duck community. Uh, if you want to find more of me, 
You can find me on Twitter at mtorissports. You can also find me on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus. And then make sure you guys head on over to ducksdigest.com. I'm really ramping up the recruiting stuff over there. That's, you know, what I'm most passionate about. So for me, it's like about time, Max, like, duh, like do the recruiting stuff because that's what I enjoy the most. Uh, and then plenty of football obviously is going to be coming the, every day that passes. We're getting closer to the season. So, um, you know, only favor to ask of you guys, uh, you know, like and subscribe to the channel and then make sure you share the show. We're trying to get this out to as many Duck fans as possible. So, uh, you know, maybe steal your, your friend's phone or your parent's phone and, and you know, uh, listen to the podcast or subscribe to the channel. Uh, don't want to ask you guys to do anything too crazy, but really glad that we got to get back here on the, the live stream. I always love doing these and, and connecting with you guys and, and trying to tailor the show to your interests. And big thank you to Ryan for, for coming on, giving me some of his time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much all I have for this one. I'm going to try to come up with another podcast here in the next uh, day or two. So keep an eye on that, but that'll do it for us here on the Ducks Dish podcast. Big thank you to everyone who tuned in live on YouTube, or if you're listening uh, on the podcasting platforms, we appreciate it greatly. It's a big help to what we're doing covering the Ducks, but that'll do it for us. Everyone take care, be well, and we'll see you in the next one. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com